What is up, everybody? It is Wednesday, April 22nd, 2020, which means we are one sleep away from the 2020 NFL Draft. And I'm very excited because we need sports right now in a huge way, not just for our sanity, but I'm trying to write. I mean, I got magazines, football stuff to do, assuming we have a season, and I can't really do anything until I know where some of these dudes are playing. So excited to talk about some of the upcoming rookie running backs and with me is Sal Vetri, first time on the Roto Curve podcast. Thrilled to have him on. Sal has a very, very, very successful YouTube channel that I want him to talk about, and I'm sure you should already know about. And Sal, uh, we, I don't think we've actually done anything together yet, but we are technically kind of colleagues at Osmo.com, another site. Sal, what is going on? What's going on, man? Yeah, I appreciate you having me on. I'm excited to talk. Uh, the anticipation for this draft is unlike any other, as a lot of you probably listening know, so... Excited to talk through some of these running backs, doing some deeper dives on them to close out the week. Yeah, this has to be one of the most watched drafts ever, just given the given the circumstances, right? Like, yeah, I mean, I, I'd assume that it's going to be up there for like just, I mean, viewing and rating wise, I'd assume it's up there for like the most viewed thing, but also for the season in sports, and then also betting wise, like the biggest handle yeah. is probably going to be taken on this with the Super Bowl if that actually goes on. But there's not much to actually uh, bet on, and just the anticipation from this is going to just do numbers. Yeah, and like obviously different. Um, you know, it, it's it's still tied in with sports, but the the Jordan documentary on Sunday night, I saw like huge, huge, huge viewership, which makes sense because a you know there's just nothing on, but also um, it's sports related. And like you're gonna see people probably they don't even they probably know who Joe Burrow and Tua Tagovailoa are, and that's it. But they're still gonna watch NFL draft because it's something. With sports, and although the coronavirus situation has made it so teams are are doing this via uh, Zoom and everything, I'm kind of excited to watch how that unfolds because, like a lot of people are talking about it, it's kind of taking us back to like the old school just fantasy football draft kind of format, which is kind of cool. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, it just adds a new twist on it for everybody. Even the people who watch the draft year in and year out, every single day of the draft, you you want to tune in now to just see how this whole entire thing is going to one just be presented and, and unfolds as they go through it. I'm not really sure. I haven't looked into the logistics much of it. Like, I'm not sure if they're giving people more time. I'm not sure if like if something goes wrong, if they'll they'll extend the time on the clock. I feel like they will, but I'm not sure the exact rules. Yeah, it'll be interesting for sure. Uh, we're going to touch on the running backs uh, on today's podcast. Uh, the receiver class is obviously loaded, but I think there's a lot of good running backs too. And we will also touch on the Rob Gronkowski news that broke yesterday. But first, Sal, I wanted you to talk about your YouTube channel because uh, I had Nick Urcolano from BDG on a couple weeks ago talking for agency. And his YouTube channel, your YouTube channel, are two that I've been following for a decent amount of time now. And it's... For for me, it's it's obviously entertaining, but it's perfect, um, especially because like during the season, I just you know put your guys' videos on and write, and it's just kind of perfect background audio for me. But it's also just straight up great content. Um, so talk about your YouTube channel. Uh, I know Nick's is you know a whole brand and everything with mostly fantasy football, but you do you kind of dive into every single uh, pool. Yeah. So and I think that's a really big interesting piece of mind is that I go into. A bunch of different areas and that's actually you talked about uh before we were on the show just uh pat mayo it's something that i reached out to him when i started probably about a year and a half ago just making youtube content and content in general sort of how to stay relevant after the nfl season and keep up that viewership keep up growth to turn it from really being a hobby to something that i do right now full time and it was just getting into other sports the nba the mlb just going into it so that's sort of what i did just followed the season's path paths 
the goal would be, and maybe even by this year, to just stick to that football year round if the audience gets big enough and it's sustainable. But yeah, right now I get into everything. I really just, from the number side of it, I really enjoy it. And I've found that video, audio, those are just outlets that I really do enjoy as well. So it's been a really good mixture. Uh, and once I made it just my full-time endeavor, a lot more time was able to be spent on some of these other sports. So yeah, the YouTube channels right now, like daily videos going out for the esports stuff, being able to pivot into that, just being one person on my channel was easier logistically to do that. And then obviously all the NFL stuff, as long as we get the season prepping for that, that'll be really the big time of the year. Yeah. Um, I, for me as well, like it's been, because I do, I do the three major sports. I've been doing the three major sports for a while now, baseball, basketball, football, um, used to do NHL as well. And then, you know, I, I haven't really, you know, we talked a little bit before the podcast where like, I enjoy golf, but I don't know enough to, to be giving people advice. Um, and, and you know, you you and I know Ryan Hodge has definitely been giving esports advice, which is kind of insane just to to see how like well rounded people are. But yeah, it's been especially especially tough for me with no basketball, no baseball because I don't you know maybe I should start to venture into those those avenues because you know people are just you know th- uh, just starving for for any sort of content right now. But yeah, you got you you and Nick, I, I kind of. Um, I kind of I don't want to say hype you guys up. I definitely, definitely am fans of your channel. I uh, believe you just hit twenty thousand subscribers, so congratulations on that. Um, it's about nineteen thousand nine hundred and fifty more than I have on mine. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it's a great thing that there's people that you know we talk about this as well. I I'll do video if I'm asked to, but it's not my strength. Whereas I could you know write a million words and and not have a problem with it. But I think it's I think it's really fun to see how different people consume and create content in the industry, um, especially now that people like yourself are still doing it when there's you know no real sports to, to speak of right now. But yeah, um, the, the YouTube channel it's is it was it Salvetry? That's it. Yeah, it's just my name, Salvechi. I appreciate it. I appreciate all the nice words. Yeah, Nick, Nick BDG, shout out to him too. He's putting out some just awesome content right now, really year round with all the different formats that he's getting into. But yeah, man, yeah, video is just my outlet, the audio version of it too. Yeah, anything, if you just type my name in, I think outside of my dad, we're like the only people with that name. So it should come up on any of the content platforms out there. But yeah, I appreciate it. And yeah, golf is something that um, I've always liked to do and the content on it, it just makes sense. So like, I love the NBA. It's probably, it might be my favorite overall sport to consume it's, and it's make content too. on. 100% it's mine. Yeah, it, it's just so, it's so enjoyable. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's like, I don't have an actual team in the NBA, so I just enjoy watching the players. I don't know if it's actually like seeing the players not wearing helmets and, and, and all that stuff, the psychology of it, just having brand recognition more. But like when it comes to DFS and fantasy for it, it is so like, it's so demanding to create content for because it it's a daily thing. Like you have a brand new yeah. slate every single day. So like a peek behind the curtain, like if I want to go out to dinner at 6 p.m. during an NBA regular season, it's like there's no shot because you have all the breaking news right before lock. And that's sort of that's sort of the struggles point for me in content in general. And it's really just structure on the NBA is is like the kind of being captured sort of your schedule based around somebody's adductor or hamstring yeah, injury between 6 and 8 p.m. 100 percent. Like I remember a couple of year, like a couple of years in a row, um, me and my friends, we would have this set plan every Wednesday. Um, you know, one of them uh, is a really big comic guy. Wednesday night happens to be the night that the new comics come out in the store, so we would always go with him. He'd get his comics, and we'd go get dinner after every Wednesday for like years yeah. in a row. And we would leave around five thirty. So I would get done the rotor curve chat um, 
And then I'd be glued to my phone until about, you know, 7.30 or whatever. And they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, I, I got to make sure somebody doesn't, you know, have the shits and isn't playing. Like, yeah, it's exactly. legitimately a, pro- a thing you have to deal with. So, um, but yeah, I, I'm excited to have the NFL season back. You did a bunch of great video shows at Osmo with, you know, Lafayette and all those guys. And uh, I'm just hoping we get some sort of, uh, some sort of normal lifestyle pretty soon. But we will have the draft. We, I'm still assuming we're going to have a football season. And assuming we do, Rob Gronkowski is going to be back. Uh, news came out of nowhere. I always, I always knew that he wasn't completely done because he. Ever, if you notice, every time they anybody interviewed him and said, "What are you thinking about returning?" He never gave a straight answer. He didn't say yes. He never said. He never, uh, you know, outright said no. So I was always assuming like there might be a shot. And here we are. We got the word yesterday that Gronk was. Looking to return and wanted to play with Tom Brady and the Bucks, and then immediately, like ten minutes, twenty minutes later, the physical was you know through, the trade was through, and now Rob Gronkowski is a member of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers alongside Tom Brady. People are going to go crazy for this news. I did, I you know, I'm on my computer twenty four seven, and immediately I was just glued to my computer when this news broke, and I updated my rankings. I have Gronk at tight end twelve right now. I'm not I'm not going crazy, but. There's obviously potential for him to score touchdowns in this offense, but you know the guy hasn't played football in a while. He wasn't exactly incredible when he when we last saw him in 2018, and we'll see if he puts on that weight because <laughs> he's gonna have to block too. So thoughts on Rob Gronkowski joining the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? I think it's I think it, it made me move Tom Brady up one spot. Nothing crazy. I didn't really move Godwin much. I think I moved Evans down one or two spots. And like I said, I have Gronk at tight end 12 at the moment. Yeah, so I actually I usually like to be polar, especially in the content and try and take a side to this. But I like it for both sides. So if you're looking at it on paper and you say a retired tight end is traded with a seven round pick for a fourth round pick, New England wins that 100 percent of the time, 10 out of 10 times. But you got to look at these actual perspectives of these teams and where they are in the moment. Tampa Bay has already said, I mean, they signed Brady to this two year deal, giving him a ton of money. We just want to win. We want to win hopefully two years, but we'll take one Super Bowl out of you. So they're playing for right now. They can care less about the fourth round pick. So New England just they didn't think this guy was going to play for them. He definitely wasn't going to play for them even when he was coming back. It was Tampa Bay or nothing for pretty obvious reasons with Brady. So they got a fourth fourth round pick for free. They traded up their seventh round pick. That's great. But yeah, heading into Tampa, you know, last time we saw him in 2018, you have all the injury concerns with the back, with the ankle, uh, the knee, of course, ACL, MCL tear in the past, and he wasn't looking that great. But the one thing that I think people forget is he was on the field a ton. He played 13 games. When he was playing, he was on the field for 93% of the snaps. Now, the thing that took a huge dip down was the production, 47 catches, 682 yards in that 2018 season, only a 16% target share, which that's normal for tight ends, if not good, but for Rob Gronkowski, uh, we're used to him being in that 20% range, 10% red zone targets. These numbers are not that great. But I think I sort of see it as a different angle to it. I look at it from the perspective of Tom Brady, 20 years in New England, is now moving into a spot where he's never been before. In Tampa Bay, down south, he's the new guy in town. And, and there's a really big thing to be said that you have two years out of him. Trying to straight line his adjustability and his comfortability there is is huge. And you bring in one of his best friends. I, I saw the Twitter video before the Gronk Horn or whatever it was. I don't know if you saw it. It's fantastic. Yeah, um, it. But yeah, it's fantastic. And just having that type of friendship there, I mean, you could say what, what you want. If you're comfortable outside of the practice facilities and just being in Tampa Bay, that's going to help a ton. So I, if Robert Ronkowski does nothing, like t- uh, uh, tight end 12, I think that makes sense. I had him at like thir- or 14, I think, right before this adjusting it. Like I think that any production they got get out of him, I think that's fine, whether it's, whether it's 45 catches like he had in 2018 
when he got hurt, whether it's 60 catches and he has a good year for them, or if it's just nothing, right? And he's there and he's just being some sort of like morale booster for Tom Brady. I think that's first and foremost the thing that matters the most here. You got two years out of Brady. Don't waste half of his first year for him looking for camaraderie and some sort of uh, just well-being and feeling at home. I think this helps that a ton. Uh, so, yeah, I think there's other things that you can't measure that are going to be going into place here. But then, yeah, being 31 years old, you had Jason Witten having success at 36 and 37 the last two years. I get all the injuries. He's not going to be 265 pounds, no shot from when where he left. But I don't think having that weight off of him is really going to hurt. Tampa Bay, warm weather. You, you shed some of the pounds still. You can be used a little bit more differently. Stay away from some of those big defensive linemen, not having to chip them as much. I think it could work out. I think it's a, a win for both sides. Yeah, and I think to your point about the camaraderie, especially this time of year where you're not going to be able to, you know, practice with your teammates as, you know, easily, um, you don't have to worry about that with Gronk and Brady. Like, these guys have played together for a while. They know how to play together, and Brady won't have to learn that now with, you know, O.J. Howard or Cameron Brady. We'll see what happens with O.J. Howard. I saw a report that the Bucks have to be blown away to trade him. I mean, I don't know how you – I mean, maybe, maybe they take a, you know, a page out of New England's old playbook and use these two tight ends, and I mean – it would be very, very difficult, even if Gronk is like 50% of what he used to be. O.J. Howard is still a very talented player. I don't care what has happened in the last year. And then you add Mike Evans, you add Chris Godwin, and potentially somebody they draft out of the backfield. I mean, for me, I look at this and I say, inside the red zone, this team's going to be very difficult to defend. And that just bodes well for Tom Brady, and potentially if they draft a rookie running back. So I think Brady, for me is now the best quarterback to draft out of the, like the the older guys, right? Like the Breeze, Rodgers, Brady type type group. I, I would rather have Brady over all those guys, which is crazy because, you know, the last five years, Brady wasn't even close to those guys for me in fantasy, but maybe not five years. But, yeah, I think um, – I don't think it kills Chris Godwin really. Mike Evans maybe a little bit in the red zone if you think that's, that's something that's going to happen. But um, I'm interested to see just, you know, how Gronk looks because – he can still be a very, very difficult guy to stop inside the five-yard line. That's just, like I said, that's just going to help Tom Brady uh, immensely. So I think this news obviously just helps Brady the most. Who knows what's going to happen with New England right now? I mean, Julian Edelman, whoever's catching, whoever's throwing passes, Julian Edelman might have like a 35% target share this year. Like him and James White literally might have all, all the right. targets this year. Um, but he's definitely feeling left out right now. Um, what, it, what the hell happens with O.J. Howard? Because... It's pretty clear that Bruce Arians is, you know, and it's funny because when Bruce Arians first got to Tampa Bay, he told beat reporters, he was like, I looked at O.J. Howard and my jaw dropped. Like, he, he uh, paraphrasing, but he was, like, really impressed with O.J. Howard initially. And whether it was mistakes, you know, blocking issues, whatever, it just didn't kind of pan out for him last year. They clearly have, they have an opportunity to trade him and get a decent return because you look at it, there's a lot of tight end needy teams. I mean, Green Bay needs a tight end. Uh, Buffalo could maybe use a tight end. Um, you know, there's a lot of teams out there, and this is a really, really, really lacking tight end draft. So, what do you think would, could potentially happen with OJ Howard? And I, I feel bad for Cameron Bray because I think Cameron Bray's a really good player. Yeah, I think. I mean, they got three talented tight ends. We'll see what what Garab Gronkowski has in the tank still, but without question, OJ Howard is their best tight end on their roster. So, I saw right before we came on the stuff you were saying that they'd have to be blown away. And there was a report that the Patriots would be interested in O.J. Howard in some sort of separate deal. So it's going to be a wait and see thing. But if I'm Tampa Bay, I, I'd have to get blown away. I mean, this is a talented tight end who, I mean, we were saying a year ago, has the upside to be a top five, top three tight end in the entire league. Yeah. And yeah, I don't know if it was things in practice. He had the blunders from blocking. He had 
a couple of fumbling issues during a game uh, and he ended up getting benched. And yeah, he, then he just didn't run routes for like a quarter of the season. So I think OJ Howard is the best tight end they have on the roster. I think it allows them to be a lot more versatile in their packages with 12 personnel. I'm not really having an established number three receiver with Justin Watson and or Scotty Miller pre-draft at least right now. So yeah, I think if I'm Tampa Bay, I end up keeping OJ Howard unless like they said, they get absolutely blown away. I think it makes you, he's going to be your third most athletic player on the field behind Godwin and Evans. And, and that's fantastic to have that. So yeah, I, I'd end up keeping him. And I, yeah, I think that it's interesting. You can try and dish him off and get whatever you get, picks, compensation, whatever it is. But if you have Cameron Brait still there, we we in the fantasy community and maybe even just general people know Cameron Brait is sort of a red zone darling, but he had such a strong relationship off the field and it was widely reported with Jameis Winston. Yeah. Now you bring in a, a totally different quarterback. You don't know what the same type of player is going to be. And you have Gronk in there, more of a a red zone threat without question with Brady, it might not be the same player. So yeah, I'm keeping OJ Howard if I'm them, unless something, something great comes through that you can't pass it up in a trade offer. Yeah. And let's not act like Gronk is, you know, going to play 16 games. I'd be shocked if he played 16 games. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, th- I think, um, I'm in the, I'm in the belief that Tampa Bay is going to be good, but not as good as everybody thinks. But at the same time, I'm looking at their roster on, on offense and especially, like I said, if they add a, a running back, which I imagine they will, I don't know how you defend this team if they're all healthy. I mean, Chris Godwin emerged yeah, as a top a, 10 guy last year, and Evans is great. Yeah. It's tough. Yeah, it's it's, it's crazy because it's their offense is fantastic, right? And the more that you surround Brady with this, it's going to be even better. So they have a couple holes So uh, on offense. It's running back's the big one, and, and I think that's something they'll address in the draft. You have Ronald Jones. He was one of the worst pass protecting yeah. running backs in the league last year. You, you can't have that. And he doesn't catch passes. He did a couple times, a couple games he broke out last year. Remember when, when, remember when we were finally in the DFS industry for a week, get on Ronald Jones, and that would be the week he missed a pass block, and then we saw all Peyton Barber, and he finished with four carries, and Peyton Barber would have like 16. It's the worst. Yeah, and shout out shout out to all the all the people in my mentions the week that uh, I said, you had a talky Ronald Jones, he ends up catching eight passes that week, and he was like somebody that I was wildly against because he was highly owned and I ended up looking like the donkey with the dunce on my head. But, yeah, it was it's crazy. So I think they're going to attack. And we'll talk about some of the rookie running backs and maybe some fits with them. But I do think that that's a huge need for them. And just the, the whole right side of their offensive line is going to be an issue too. So they need to just protect Brady. I think Gronk's going to help with that a little bit, maybe not a ton. But, yeah, I think that's their, their biggest concern outside of sharing up their secondary, which even that was coming on towards the last quarter of the season last year. So, yeah, it, it's hard to – almost meet the expectations now because they're they're as high as they possibly can get like the Browns last year. But I just don't see that same similar type of collapse or we're just dud like the Browns leave yeah. in uh, 2019. They have they have a little bit more veterans. Obviously, Brady plays a huge role. Yeah. Um, their run defense was legitimately one of the best in the NFL last year. Their secondary is still a weakness, but it's showing some signs of improvement. Um, and they're getting better play out of their linebackers um, with, what, Devin White last year. So, uh, or Devin Bush. I always get them confused. Um so, yeah, I think, the, I think they'll be good, like a 10-win team, maybe 11 wins. I still – maybe I'm just an idiot because I've picked the Saints to win Super Bowl now three years in a row, and they've either choked or the rest screwed them over three years in a row. Um, but I still think the Saints are a better team on paper. But that division is going to be probably the best you can have for fantasy because you have the Saints who always always score points. They have the best defense in that division, but it's not like – you know it's it's good, but it's not you know Chicago Bears 85 or anything like that. Then you have the the – the Falcons, who always score points, and their defense is still bad. Tampa Bay is going to score points, and I still think their secondary is a weakness. And then we Carolina's defense just took as big of a hit as you can possibly take in the offseason, and they're going to be bad. So that division is going to be fun. But, yeah, let's get to these rookie running backs because 
I was watching, I've been watching a lot of film, and I'm not a scout or anything like that, but I just like watching film because, especially at a time like this, when the hell else are you supposed to do leading up to the draft? Um, so the rookie running backs, for me, Jonathan Taylor seems to be the, the consensus top guy. I like DeAndre Swift. I think he's the best back in his class. I could be wrong, but I love how versatile he is. I think he's a really good pass catcher. And I, if you watch this dude, he sticks his foot in the ground so violently, which makes him so difficult to, to bring down the open field. So I have him slightly ahead of Jonathan Taylor, who you know is, is a viable pass catcher, but he's not DeAndre Swift in the passing game. And you know Jonathan Taylor, a little bit of a fumble issue. So that could get corrected. But for me, DeAndre Swift is my RB1. What say you? Yeah, so if... All, so the top five guys in this draft, I have it's so difficult. They're on a tier, really their own. You can separate them within that tier, but I have them all just in one tier and then ranked within there just to kind of show the drop off. But yeah, I, I have Swift right now, number one as well. But it is it is so hard. It, it's going to depend on the landing spots. Like we can come on and do another show once that these landing spots are set in, and any of these like really top five or six running backs in this draft, they can be number one just based on their landing spots. But judging on pure talent, how they're going to translate their college skills into the NFL for any team, kind of a general take. Yeah, I have DeAndre Swift number one right now. It's just, it seems to be the most complete back uh, when you look at it on paper, kind of rivaling Dobbins to an extent, just a a better pass catcher for sure in that regard. So you get a lot there. You get, um, while he was there, just two back-to-back seasons, a fantastic passing production. You have 90-plus targets while he was there in the three years during his career. You have a third of his runs going for a first down or a touchdown. So he has the explosiveness. The guy averaged almost seven yards per carry on 513 touches and only had four fumbles target share around 10%, which is a number that you won't see a lot for running backs, especially in college. So yeah, I think he's right now the number one guy for me, just more of a complete total package. The one thing that you can kind of try and put on him is that one, like a lot of these guys, like even Saquon try and dance a little bit too much, make a lot happen. That's a knock against really a ton of guys who usually have some sort of home run hitting upside. But the other thing is he's not great at breaking tackles. And we don't really have a huge sample. Like that's just the system he was in. He never really got to be the workhorse back. Now, a ton of things in people. And if you watch film, there's no saying that he can't do that. But you haven't seen him like a Dobbins, like a Taylor, just take on like a 250, 300 carry workload and see how he rolls with it. So yeah. that'd be my only concern. But yeah, he's he's my number one right now. He Like that, that ability to stick his foot in the ground that's it's a reason why he avoids tackles but he doesn't necessarily break tackles like you said he was 37th in yards after contact among all running backs last year um 56 and missed tackles forced so like he, he can he can elude tackles but he's not somebody at least right now it's gonna just kind of run through you but and yeah he's like a lot of these backs you know a little bit lacking in pass protection but he's still in my top back um you know i wrote down and you know if anybody else stands out to you Feel free to jump in. But I wrote down some teams that could easily be taking a running back at some point in this draft. We have Tampa Bay, when we mentioned Miami, Jacksonville, you know, with the Leonard Fournette situation. Buffalo is looking for, you know, a sidekick with Devin Singletary. Pittsburgh, I could see James Conner. They're not really sold on him right now. He has one year left in his deal, and they're already talking about not bringing him back. So I think Pittsburgh will draft it back at some point. The Rams could draft it back. I think nobody's talking about it anymore, but Atlanta could still draft it back. Todd Gurley's on a one-year deal here, and Devontae Freeman's not there anymore, obviously. So... Wouldn't be surprised if they drafted it back either. Um, I mean, Chiefs you could add in there as well. For me, it's it's interesting because you don't have that lock team that if player X gets drafted there, they're going to be the lead back because you could make the case for Miami, but like they gave Jordan Howard a three year deal. Like they didn't give him just like a one year kind of veteran deal. Um, you know, Tampa Bay 
probably would, you know, if, I, I think these guys are maybe maybe all all top five of these guys are better than Ronald Jones, especially in pass protection. So that could be the one spot. Buffalo, I think you're getting, you know, potential goal line work from Singletary, but Singletary commands 15 carries after what he did last year. Jacksonville will be the one because, like, Fournette, if anybody wants to give anything up for him, I don't think he's going to last in Jacksonville, and you would have, you know, a near every down back opportunity for whoever gets drafted there. So where would you want to see DeAndre Swift go? Because we, we talked about how he didn't force a lot of his tackles. If he went to Miami, like, their offensive line was terrible. 26% of the carries by the Dolphins last year were stuffed at the line of scrimmage, one of the worst rates in the league. But they also have a ton of picks to improve that offensive line. Um it's tough right now because there's pros and cons kind of to every team. Yeah, and it, and this is the thing that makes it so difficult. None of these running backs stand out as the the clear cut guy above the rest. Like when you had these first round Zeke's yeah. and Fournette's and Saquon's and McCaffrey's in the past decade or so. So any of these teams can take these guys depending on where they are in that draft. And a lot of these guys are being mocked now to go into the second or third round. But don't be shocked if somebody falls into the first round like a Miami with three picks there and just snags a running back. So. Uh, just based on draft capital, Miami having five picks in the first yeah. two rounds, I would assume that they're going to land one of these top guys first. And, yeah, I think that that's a really good spot and a landing spot that you can see Swift go to. And you touched on Atlanta. Yeah, I think that they're going to need to take a running back. And, I mean, you have the combination of the two Georgia running backs there. It kind of makes a little bit yeah, of sense. no one's talking about Atlanta standpoint. anymore. Like, they were – before they signed Gurley, they were like, okay, Atlanta's definitely getting it back. And then Gurley signed there, and everybody's like, okay, they're not drafting it back. But, like, the dude's on a one-year deal. Like – yeah, exactly. And like, so right now I have it. Um, I have the two spots that I'd, I'd expect it to happen the most to for Swift uh, to Miami because of really just their draft capital having so many picks. Yeah. And then to Atlanta because so Atlanta has a lot bigger issues. They have defensive issues with pass rush and they need a cornerback. Apparently, yeah, they're going to be aggressive and try to trade up for a corner. It sounds like. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. So it'll, it'll depend on what happens because they don't have a ton of capital in those later rounds. But if there's somebody left on the board there, it might not be Swift. But Swift makes a little bit of sense. Uh, just from that uh, Georgia legacy backfield that they could have there. And I think that actually does have some weight. Yeah, I was looking at the second round. Um, like, picks 30, and I tweeted, picks 35 to 57 um, in that second round, there's a lot of potential landing spots for back. You have Detroit at 35, who I didn't mention. I think Detroit drafts a back. Miami at 39. We also know they draft, you know, 26 and whatever in the first round. Jacksonville at 42, Tampa Bay at 45, Atlanta at 47, Pittsburgh at 49, the Rams at 52, and Buffalo's first pick of the draft comes at 54. All those spots could be running backs. Um, I could see any any of those teams taking a running back there. So it's gonna be that second round is gonna be really fun for fantasy purposes because there's also still gonna be some receivers that that are gonna get drafted. Let's talk about Jonathan Taylor from Wisconsin. Uh, a lot of people have him as the number one back. I mean. I, I he's not my number two back because he's bad. He's my number two back because I like Swift a little bit more. But Jonathan Taylor seems to be the traditional kind of every down back in terms of build. 5'10", 226. Um, I, I was almost hoping that he was going to be just taking Derrick Henry's role in Tennessee if they didn't bring him back. Of course they did. But, yeah, he's got, you know, a big back that can run, what, a 4'4", 40? I mean, really, really good breakaway speed. Good patience, good vision. The fumbles, definitely an issue. I think he had 18 fumbles, um, which is a little concerning for sure. But, yeah, well, I could see him. It's kind of the same situation. Like, I could see him going to any of these teams. I could see him going to Buffalo, who probably want a bigger back alongside Singletary. But at the same time, do you draft Jonathan Taylor and have him, you know, get – we saw what Frank Gore's role last year was, and it was – as a Bills fan, it was sickening because – I don't know how many times we settle for field goals after giving Frank Gore two carries from inside the five and having him lose one yard and gain one yard. But, like, 
they clearly, I mean, Singletary had like one goal line carry last year. So I, I hate this notion that small running backs can't be goal line backs, but that might be how they view Singletary as more of a, you know, between the 20s guy. Yeah, so Taylor, the thing, so Taylor, I have a number two as well. And the thing with him is he is a very, I mean, he has comps to Zeke right now coming out of college. And, and those comps are always when a player is coming out of college. Yeah. So Zeke developed his pass catching role in the league. Maybe Taylor can do that. And if he can, yeah, he can be a similar back to Zeke. Has 925 career uh, college carries. I mean, just guys taking on a huge workload. Has a lot of that in just a zone offense, which translates very well. A zone's blocking scheme to the NFL. You're going to have to mold your offense or have an offense in place already for Taylor, though. Like, the Chiefs aren't going to take a Jonathan Taylor at that spot because that's not the offense that they run. They're not going to run some sort of uh, power set um, zone running scheme with Jonathan Taylor. Now I can see teams that probably don't need to reach for it. Like the Steelers is a decent landing spot. The Rams, I could even see uh, getting him. And then you have once again, just Miami and really they can go anywhere with their run blocking scheme. I mentioned the Rams because it seems that they're pretty, uh, pretty straight on going to get a ton more 12 personnel this year, two tight end sets based on what they've been doing. Um, and their offensive line should get a little bit healthier this year. So, yeah, I can see Taylor going anywhere. He's he's my number two right now. I mean, when we start talking about fantasy, he's somebody who probably drops depending on landing spot just because of that pass-catching role not being there as much. Everything else looks great. I mean, the guy's uh, breaking a ton of tackles. Number three in forced tackles last year missed um, yards after contact. Number three, he's up there in just big plays as well, 15-plus yard runs, and he's going to be a really good goal line back. So the only knock on him is that he really doesn't fit into every single offense if you like to throw the ball to your running backs as sort of your workhorse, and you're drafting this guy, if it is in the second round, third round, maybe somebody reaches in the first, you're drafting him to be your workhorse back and really uh, be paid and really compensate for what you're going to be paying him with that high uh, early capital pick. So I think that anywhere that's going to really mold our offense around him is probably where he's going to be. But yeah, I don't think he'll be a disappointment by any means, whoever takes him. Yeah, and I, I think he's... Somebody you, you kind of want to be kind of your, you know, I could see him being like, at least in year one, like the, the guy you kind of, at the end of the game, just, you know, sawed away a win. Uh, if he's not an every down back, like if he's on a Buffalo or, um, you know, maybe he's on the Rams and they use, you know, him and Daryl Henderson. But uh, I think it's just so interesting this year, like I said, because there's not that one team that has a, gla- like there's teams that need running backs, but there's not the guy, there's not a team where it's like, okay, if this player gets drafted, he's going to get you know, 250 carries. So, and Taylor can handle that workload, but I just don't think he's going to be able to see that, at least in year one. Who do you have as your RB3? My RB3, I have J.K. Dobbins right now. Okay, I've I've Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Um, talk about Dobbins, though, because I've seen people either really like him or they have him at like four, five, six. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm even close to putting Dobbins as number two ahead of Taylor right now, but just the overall... So you have two really big sample sizes out of Taylor and Dobbins, uh, they both went to, I mean, same exact conference in the Big Ten, so they faced similar competition. Dobbins coming in as a true freshman and just absolutely raking. Um, but a couple of things that are going to translate really well for him to the NFL. He's a one-cut runner. He's not a guy who's going to dance as much, so he gets downfield really quickly. And he has the speed and power combination. He can also pass protect. So the biggest things that you need to translate over, you need to be able to pass protect and need to be able to generate offense on your own depending without your offensive line really needing to do the extra for you not being a top five or ten offensive line and still being able to have success if you can't do that you have to be elusive you have to be able to break tackles those are all things that he can do really the only knocks that i was able to find on dobbins you have such a big sample size of this guy three three one thousand yard rushing seasons at ohio state over 725 carries and he caught 71 balls there on 84 targets the only thing that i really put on him was just nothing after the catch like he can catch the ball but He's really not going to do much. He has to actually generate speed going downhill, which is exactly what he does when he rushes the ball. 
and have an advantage over defensive backs over that first unit of defenders, linebackers. But when he's catching the ball, he really can't pick up speed and accelerate as much, which is something that Jonathan Taylor can do, but Jonathan Taylor doesn't catch the ball as much, so it kind of balances it out. But I really couldn't find as many flaws in his game. To me, he looks like the most consistent running back when you factor in the pass-catching role. Again, he had 71 receptions in three years at Ohio State, and that role only started to increase as the season went on. Coming off of a 300-carry year, he showed he can uh, carry that burden like Jonathan Taylor. So they're really close for me, 2A, 2B, right behind Swift. I, I like Swift ceiling a little bit more, uh, but I, I just like Dobbins' overall complete game. It, it was hard for me to find a lot of knocks. Yeah, Dobbins, the real, like he wasn't great in pass pro, uh, and he mentioned you know after the catch he, he wasn't incredible, but like before the catch, like, he has really good footwork on his routes, um, which is why he's such a good pass catcher. Um, according to PFF, he had the most runs of 15-plus yards in the nation, which was obviously showing his big play potential. So I like Dobbins. Um, I just think Clyde Edwards-Hilaire kind of fits. I think he's going to fit a team better just because of how ridiculously efficient he is as a, is as a pass catcher. Like, Tampa Bay would be an elite fit because, like, people have kind of compared him to, like, James White in a way. And, my God, I mean, does Tom Brady – Tom Brady throwing his running backs is – what second best behind Drew Brees? Like he's obviously really great in that in that regard. Um, so I like I like Edwards Alaire a little bit more, but I'm a little bit different because I like Cam Akers a lot, and Cam Akers to me is the most same, interesting same. running back in this class because of the circumstance, right? Like the the offensive line was just god awful last year for Florida State. Um, so you look at it, and I tweeted a, a a video of him last night. Like he got hit immediately when he touched the ball. It should have been a five yard loss. And he just threw the guy over his shoulder and got like four yards. So he kinda he broke a ton of tackles, but it was also kind of because he had to. Uh Graham Barfield does a lot of the yards created stuff and uh shout out to Graham just launched a, a new site with Scott Barrett and a bunch of guys. So that's really exciting. But Graham's a great follow on Twitter. He has the yards created stuff and he pointed out that his point zero point five seven yards blocked per attempt. That's again according to Graham Barfield uh, worst since he created that metric, and I think it was like 2016. He was contacted at or behind line of scrimmage on 30% of his carries. I mean, just nowhere to run. But he still, at the end of the day, kind of made the best of the situation. I mean, uh, you look, he had, I think, 74 forced or missed tackles. Uh, he just he was really impressive to me. I watched a lot of him last night because I, I want the Bills to draft him. Um, you know, not a huge back, but a powerful back in the way he plays. Um, didn't have great vision, but again, like there was very little holes to be had last year at Florida State. So I'm really high on Cam Akers. I think the fact that he had this awful offense around him, he's versatile too. He was a high school quarterback. That he took a lot of direct snaps at Florida State last year. Um, I could, leg- I tweeted out, I could legitimately see a team drafting him and running some wildcat from here, especially the Bills, right? Like Josh Allen's athletic. They've clearly used him in weird ways, you know, catching some passes and stuff like that. And then you have Singletary and Cam Akers. Like, I think that could be a really interesting kind of wrinkle. Um, so, yeah, you talked about Dobbins. What do you think of Cam Akers and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, who, you know, I, I like them slightly more than Dobbins, but it, like you said, it's really, really close to these running backs. Yeah, and that's the thing I'll say. Like, I have them all in literally a, a tier of their own right now. Yeah. So I currently have... I currently have Akers as number four, and then I have Clyde Edwards-Hilaire as number five. Akers I, is one of two running backs that I have mocked to Tampa Bay right now, and two big reasons why. One, you touched on the versatility. Um, he can catch passes. He had 30 receptions on 38 targets last year. He had a ton of drops, though, 11% drop rate, which is a concern moving forward, but that's usually one of the things that running backs can clean up the most when transitioning to the league. But the second thing was that pass protection. I mean, his offensive line was terrible. He was like the only thing out there keeping his quarterback upright as a running back. 
pass protection is huge. We talked about with Brady earlier. We mm-hmm. talked about Gronk being there. Yeah, pass protection is going to be big. You can catch passes. I think that fits that mold a little bit more. But yeah, Cam Akers, the offensive line. Uh, overall, one of the worst bottom five in all of if Power Five in college football last year. But the guy kept forcing missed tackles. Still had to find PFF grade versatility in the passing game as well. I think the things that are you can knock about him is that he's not a one cut runner uh, as much. Uh, not really a first great move either. But then also the the offensive line is something that you really can't hold against him. So that's where the mystery comes in that we were talking about. Like his ceiling can be fantastic depending on where you right. land to be get any sort of offensive line play. So yeah, I have him uh, from Florida State at number four right now. Yeah, I, I I think he's between him and Swift. They're my two favorite running backs in class. I mean, I don't think Akers is you know the best. I, like I said, I clearly have him fourth, but he is my favorite to kind of see what happens because. Was it, you know, did he break a lot of tackles because he's just that good at it? Or was it because he didn't really have a choice? I mean, obviously, the fact that he did it so much is still, given the fact that he was contacted at or behind line of scrimmage so often, shows that he's very, very, very um, strong in that regard. But, yeah, like you mentioned, like, Buffalo, if he went to Buffalo, I'd be thrilled. Buffalo's offensive line was really good in terms of yards before contact. Singletary, and again, it could be because he just, you know, had great vision. But they were, Singletary was among the league leaders in yards before contact, so... I would love Cam Akers in Buffalo. And like I said, you could see some Wildcat with him. I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, I like the fit with Tampa Bay as well. They were the other team that stood out to me because of the pass protection, because of the ability to catch passes. Um, we know like that could give him a leg up of Ronald Jones, who was, we talked about is so lacking in pass pro. So I love Cam Akers. And Clyde Edwards-Hilaire could also fit in that in that system. He's probably the most, you know, the most fluid, the most effortless kind of pass catcher in this draft class, I would say. He's getting comps to MJD. I think it's like, just because of his size, but like, I don't know, he, he, he's not like a small back. Like, he's small, but he doesn't play exactly small. Really, really good route runner. Um, the obvious knocker, knocks are his size, right? 5'7", 207. But I, I think he's somebody that, like, he's getting MJD and Ray Rice comes because of his size. But, like, I, don't, I could see MJD a little bit. Like, Clyde Edwards Hilaire isn't like a burner, which is another knock, but, like, I think he's just kind of. A perfect fit for Tampa Bay right now, but I feel like we could say that about any running back almost. Yeah, as long as they can catch passes. Like, yeah, I think I think that makes sense. The only spot where I would have concerns about him there is just I think out of these top five guys, he might be the worst pass protector. But it's also a sample that it's hard to. So you had a really bad offensive line in general at LSU, like underratedly bad, and they still won a title. That's how good Joe Burrow was. So it's it's almost it's a ton of pressure that he was facing as a running back that most running backs probably aren't used to. So it's hard to really put a litmus test on that as much. So yeah, I mean, depending on landing spot, another guy who can go a little bit higher. I am concerned when, so in his two years, 2017, he had like 10 rushing attempts. So throw that one out. 2018 and 2019 though, his two main years, he ends up going out there and catching 66 balls, 55 of which were last year where Joe Burrow comes out of nowhere and this whole team comes out of nowhere. I'm a little bit concerned if it was just a factor of this entire offense. And I know people are saying that for like everybody on this offense because of the Joe Brady, the Joe Burrow effect and just winning the national title, getting those extra few games in there. But it's just a huge, huge jump uh, in overall target share, 10.2% receptions. And trying to see that translate to the league, you're going to need the proper offense around him. Tampa Bay would be one of those proper offenses. It's just my concerns and really a lot of the knocks on him is pass protection. And then like you touched on it, a little bit slower with a 4-6 time, which I don't really know how much I weight that. But then also the size being a little bit smaller, a 207 compared to some of these guys pushing 220, a little bit shorter as well. So I think those are the only knocks that I can put on him. I have him at number five, but again, these guys are all like 1A, 1B, 1C. They're all on a tier of their own right now. I have him actually comp to Buffalo. 
uh, with Devin Singletary, which would be a pain in the neck in fantasy landscape. But in real life, I think it's a nice one-two punch. Yeah. See, for me, I, I like Clyde Alaire a lot, but I think Agers would be a better fit just because, like, they just need a little bit of a bigger back. That, that's what they're looking for. Um, if you want to make the case, they could just wait and draft A.J. Dillon, who's just a monster. Um, but yeah, I could also be interested in... I don't think people are talking about this, but like, if Fournette gets traded, and it doesn't even have to be you know tomorrow or whatever, but I think Jacksonville kind of like... People are talking about Carolina as the, the stone nuts team to just be trailing in a bunch of games. I think Jacksonville is going to be like that too. They just lost a ton of players on their defense. Um... They, like, their their offense is going to be pretty bad, I would say. They're going to be chilling in games a lot. What if they, what if they drafted Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and they just kind of rock with, you know, Rykel Armstead and early downs and then get behind in games and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire just walks into 70 catches this year? Like, I can see that. Yeah, the only thing, so it would have to be like a real, like, he would have to fall a good amount for right. Jacksonville to do that only because of, like, the contract situation. The reason you want to get rid of Fournette, there's just some obvious reasons, like, he just doesn't fit really anybody's offense at this stage that well. Like, sure, he can catch passes for, like, I don't know, three yards. Like, that's not going to do much for you after the catch. Um, but he just doesn't fit offense as well. But his, his contract at this point also isn't as much of a burden on them. And then if they go ahead and take a second-round running back, it's just kind of flipping the script on that for the next few yeah. years. So if he if he was to fall to, like, the fourth round and now you're not uh, putting up so much capital for him, that would make sense to me. And, yeah, I think that's another spot where you can find him landing and, and having success. It's just the contract issues make it seem unlikely. Yeah, that's why that's why I'm kind of I keep moving up guys like Gardner Minshew and DJ Shark because I think they are going to be trailing in games a lot. Kind of like when Allen Robinson had the huge year with Bortles a couple years back, where they were just always behind, and Bortles got so much garbage time. And it's kind of similar because Bortles can run a little bit. Gardner Minshew showed a lot to, in running, so kind of off tangent, but I kind of like Minshew this year in fantasy. Yeah, no, no, I, I, I really, I mean, I'm, I'm going to be watching this draft, those first ten picks, and just, and just hoping and hoping that. Uh, C.D. Lamb doesn't end up in Jacksonville and just absolutely ruin, uh, and that'll that help for the entire offense. Yeah, if he, big, if he does, for sure, I mean, Minshew, I might, might because I'm C.D. Lamb is my favorite player in this entire class, so if they somehow drafted C.D. Lamb, I would probably move Minshew up to like 15, 16, like ahead of guys like Rivers and those guys, but yeah, I, yeah. I, I hope C.D. Lamb goes to like the Niners or Raiders so he can just get a good amount of targets, but we'll talk about that another time. Um, who else? We have Zach Moss. We have AJ Dillon. I kind of touched on AJ Dillon. Let's talk about him. Just massive, massive power back. Um, you know, kind of like the the prototypical like old school running back. Um, yeah. He like all like all big power backs. He talked about how he wants to improve as a pass catcher, but is he going to be used in that regard? He's got some Derrick Henry comps, which you know, like when you're that big and that powerful, you're going to get comps like that. But you know, he's clearly different. Than someone like Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, just complete polar opposite. Yeah, I, I mean, so this is this is the part of like talking about the draft that's so difficult. So like these are kids who are at this point younger than me. I'm 23, like my age or younger. Like I, I want every single one of these people to go out there and get paid as much money as possible, pro players for sure. But if I'm an NFL GM, like there, there's just no shot I'm drafting AJ Dillon. And if AJ Dillon is listening to this for some reason, I hope you get drafted <laughs> whatever round and make as much money as you possibly can and just ball out but when your comps are like steven jackson and your comps are brandon jacobs i just don't want anything to do with that like josh jacobs is much different than brandon jacobs even though he had people comping him to that when he came out last year there's a much bigger difference there in terms of one cut ability in terms of the upside in the pass catching game aj Dillon is going to do one thing for you goal line short down and distance and you just don't need that out of a out of one piece one guy to take up a roster spot and be paid at this point so yeah i mean he's going to get drafted he he should get drafted at this point but if i'm if i'm an nfl gm 
I'm probably not going to get there. But yeah, you just look at the stats from this guy over five yards per carry a 91 PFF grade on the ground. The issue is you just have absolutely no usage in the passing game. Uh, 16 targets last year total throughout all these games. So not something that's going to be great. But yeah, the guy can break tackles. He can do all that. Is he Derrick Henry? And that's really what teams that are going to be drafting him are going to be looking for. And you have to see, can he just take on a huge workload and just dominate based on his size? When he's 250-pound running back the last time he was measured, 247, absolute monster. But, yeah, just the way the NFL is going, probably not somebody that I'm going to be taking a chance on if I'm a GM. Massive, massive workload, too. Like, there's there are yeah. probably teams that are worried about his long-term durability. Um, you know, like – He's going to go later than these guys we already talked about. Could I see? Could I see him? You know, this year probably not going to make much of an impact. But like next year, depending where, like, what if he got drafted by Detroit or something? And which I don't know if that's a great fit if you're worried about his long term durability alongside Carry On, who hasn't been able to stay healthy. But like, there could be next year potentially uh, an early down role for him. I don't think he's going to be a, a full three down back because of the. You know, inconsistencies and, and lack of, of you know, terrific play out of the passing game. So I don't think you're getting, you know, a McCaffrey or anything workload. But, like, he could be, like, I'm trying to find, like, kind of what Jordan Howard was with the Eagles when he was healthy last year. Like, that kind of role uh, in the right fit next year. But I don't think it's going to happen this year. Um, but he's definitely, a, like, it's 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 so interesting to have him here because he's so, so opposite of guys like Cam Akers and, and Clyde yeah. Edwards-Hilaire. But, you know, it's just... In 2020, you know, you, you, Derrick Henry is the the exception right now. I mean, he, he's Derrick Henry. Give, give him credit. I mean, Derrick Henry's literally been. You could throw in McCaffrey, I guess, too. But like over the last year and a half, year and a half, Derrick Henry's probably been the best running back in the NFL. So like, if you're good enough in that role, like you can just dominate games. And obviously, the Titans are a run heavy, heavy team. I think Dylan would have to go to like a run heavy team, and, and like I said, have to be in a situation where. You know, next year, you know, something happens and he's kind of thrust uh, upon a bigger workload. Um, yeah, and I can see I can see him falling for sure. And that's where a team like, I mean, all you need is some type of donkey coach or GM like a Matt Patricia and what Detroit has been doing this offseason. They might try and just script their whole offense around just the running game and not pass catching. And that's been a knock with uh, carry on, too. So, yeah, he's going to get drafted. He also has speed for a guy who's that big. So that's also going to help you in terms of just really accelerating that second unit when you can break tackles. But it is just no passes, 21 receptions in three years. That's going to be something that's really going to be a red flag for a lot of teams. Um, so we talked about those guys. Anybody else stand out? You have Zach Moss, and then you guys have guys like Keyshawn Vaughn, you know, Benjamin. Yeah, so those names, so those last three names that you said are like the last three that I really have any sort of interest in. And Zach right. Moss is a guy who I have, I have in Tier 2 by himself. So I have those five guys in Tier 1 separated, and then I have Zach Moss by himself in Tier 2. My Tier 3 is Keyshawn Vaughn, you know, uh, and then Kelly out of UCLA. But yeah, I like Zach Moss a good amount. He's another guy who I have two guys mocked right now to Tampa. Number one was Cam Akers and number two was Zach Moss because of the combination of being able to catch passes, but also pass protect while you're in college. So ended up staying at Utah for four years. He's got the Kareem Hunt comps right now. In his final year there last year, pushed a 9% target share, which is great. 29 targets, caught 28 of them, um, had 235 carries on the ground and it's two years where he's been able to stay healthy. He's seen 28 or more receptions in those years, 15 yards per reception. So he's been able to be very versatile. The cons on him that if you can point to any is he's going to be pushing by the end of this first NFL season, 23 years of age already. And a lot of these backs coming out who are going to be above him are going to be right around 21 years old. So really getting into their peak instead of being at their peak potentially in age wise for uh, Zach Moss. But the, the speed is another thing that's going to be knocked against him a little bit as yeah. 40 time. 
And outside of that, though, I mean, elusiveness can pass, protect, can catch passes. Depends on where he lands. But if you get Zach Moss to one, the Chiefs, uh, that would be absolutely fantastic for what they want to do with their offense. Or number two, Tampa Bay, I think it fits really well. Yeah, he doesn't have breakaway speed. He's not going to wow you with that. But he's kind of a violent runner, which I like. Um, another guy that you could have a little bit worried about getting that, you know, that that second contract or whatever because he played all four years and he has a little bit of injuries in the past. Um, yeah. But yeah, he's he's interesting. I have him right ahead of AJ Dillon. I think hey, I'm at six. Um, so I like him. I I don't like him as much as the other guys clearly, but I think he's in the right like. Another team, you know, a guy that's kind of a little bit different from Devin Singletary, Buffalo. I keep bringing him up, but like, I'm also interested to see what Pittsburgh does because they have other needs. Um, you know, they could go quarterback, they could go running back with with the James Conner situation. Um, you know, their offensive line is still pretty solid overall. Like, they probably have one of the best best offensive lines among the teams that need running backs. Um, yeah. I, I think it's so, so interesting with these running backs. I keep bringing it up, but it's just, it's so different when you don't have that team that says, okay, you're going to come in, you're going to get drafted inside the top 15, you're going to have 250 carries this year. So, like, my goodness, injuries are going to be, and especially this year, like, you could make the case that injuries are going to be even more prevalent if we don't have, you know, teams practicing as much in the offseason. Like, it's it's just so different this year in every single aspect with the with the whole coronavirus situation it's just impacting everything yeah. yeah it really is and it's difficult and you, you touch on on pittsburgh just based on the needs that they have i, I can see it like a, a fourth round running back or even a fifth round running back going off the board to them they're, they're going to need a running back at this point but a guy like so i like you know benjamin a lot i think i have him i think consensus is like around number 10 i have him at number eight right now but yeah you you think about this run blocking scheme with the ability to catch passes for a decade now in pittsburgh you think about big ben coming back just seeing what he looks like, taking pressure off with some shorter passes. Who knows what James Conner's overall role is going to be. But I think Ito Benjamin uh, fits in nicely there. I Just an insane, huge pass catching role while he was in college. 14.4% target share. It's absolutely crazy last year. 52 targets in 2019. Caught 42 of them. I uh, forced 62 tackles as well. So a lot of upside out of a guy like him. He's probably one of the guys at the bottom end of this running back pool who's my biggest upside in terms of his skill set can fit for a lot of teams. And if you get a good line like Pittsburgh with at least a good coaching staff and offense around it, good run blocking scheme, even even the Rams, spots like that is, if you know Benjamin goes there, I think he's actually going to make some sort of noise this season. Yeah, the Rams are interesting too because Daryl Henderson, you know, was – Daryl Henderson was like a sixth, seventh round pick at some points in drafts early last season, which was crazy. And then yeah. um, barely got any work. But, like, you know, he's explosive – and you know he, they. I don't think they leave this draft without without a running back. Personally, um, you know, I think he's interesting. The Rams' offensive offensive line last year was really really bad, but they should be better this year. I don't know how they're worse. They were just incredibly bad, which is why I think Todd Gurley has more left in the tank than people think. Um, but again, I think Atlanta is going to be the team that could piss everybody off and draft one of these like top five guys. And just screw yeah. every everything over because they need a back of the future. Um, I mean, to be fair, Tucker is only twenty five. I think he obviously has the the long term concerns with with the knee and the arthritis or whatever. But um, I could really see them take one of these guys and just have him play behind Gurley for this year, and then we'll see what happens next year. But it could really, really piss people off if people who I I really don't think people are considering Atlanta as a, as a candidate to take a running back anymore. And I think that could be a mistake. 
Yeah, I mean, you always need depth, and they definitely don't have depth, and uh, they don't even have a long-term plan at running back. So uh, it could be Gurley. He's kind of in this prove-it year right now. But if it's not, you have to have some sort of insurance there. And this is – I mean, you get a lot of hype out of the wide receivers in this class, and, like, I, I'm profiling out, like, 38 that might get drafted right now. And you hear all about that. But these top five running backs in this draft, and then the depth behind them, is some of the strongest that we've seen in maybe like five years, uh, especially up top in those top five guys. So they're sort of going a little bit unnoticed. So I think if teams are paying attention. Like you said, Atlanta, if they were to be drafting a running back, this is the draft to do it in because of you can get guys in the fifth and sixth round that have that second and third round upside in most drafts. Yeah, I kind of like how this year it's there isn't that one clear top consensus guy. Like there's just you could you could literally put if you if you feel like they're close enough, which I think they're really close. Like you could put four guys in one tier. Like they're they're that close in my opinion. Like Swift and Taylor are like I barely had Swift ahead of Taylor. I think Akers, Dobbins, and and Edwards Hilaire are all super close. So it's going to be an exciting draft. I'm pumped. I'm going to be doing a live blog over at Osmo.com with fantasy um, fantasy takeaways from every single viable offensive draft pick. Uh, I'm excited. I I, I I more excited than than any year. And the Bills don't even have first round pick. Which is saying something, but I, I think they're. I think that kid Stephon Diggs that they they drafted with the first round pick. I was going to say that's your first round pick. I was like, yeah. you already got yours. You already know what you got. I, I can't wait because the Bills have more expectation than ever since I've been alive, and we're not going to have a season. Just watch. It's just just my luck. But Sal, uh, appreciate you coming on, man. I, I'm sure we'll have you on again after the draft to talk about some takeaways from who's playing where. But anything you want to plug, obviously the YouTube channel. Um, but anything else, feel free. The floor is yours. Yeah, sure. You guys can uh, follow me on Twitter. It's at SalVetriDFS. Everything else is, is linked up there, my YouTube channel and all that in the link in the description. But you can check that out. Hopefully you enjoy the show and everybody stay safe out there and enjoy the virtual NFL draft. Yeah, definitely stay safe. Um, I have I it's it's kind of the point now where I other than the occasional grocery store trip, I don't remember when I last left my house, which is sad, but it's also it's also necessary. Um, there's so yeah. many every single day now. I see something on Twitter where people are having these rallies and events, and it's just like I saw one sign that said, "Come even if you're sick." Like, excuse they me. They got him. They got him here. I'm, I'm in I'm in Raleigh, North Carolina, and they're doing six foot social distancing safe rallies downtown for people that are probably small business owners that are just frustrated. I mean, I I feel for those small business owners. I really do, but. It's yeah, it's not, a tough situation. It's not gonna get any better if we just, you know, you just gotta, you just gotta be, just gotta be smart. I do. Hashtag feel stay at home, people. Yeah. Stay at home. Stay at home. Watch the NFL draft, and I, I just hope Dave Gettleman just has like internet issue. It would be the best. It would be. We so need that. Good. We need the reality TV side of this. We need people yeah. be walking in, tripping over stuff. Yeah, we need that. Hundred percent. But enjoy the draft if you're doing bets. Best of luck. It should be. It should be a wild draft. Honestly, with trades and everything. So I'm excited. Excited to have content. Glad to have Sal on the podcast for the first time. I'm sure we'll talk to him again. Best of luck out there. Be safe, and we'll talk to you guys next time. Enjoy the draft.